Bridge is an acronym for books recycled to instruct, disciple, guide, and educate. We firmly believe that reading is critical for Christians to grow in their faith, and so we strive to make Bibles and gospel-based Christian books available at very affordable prices. Our purpose is to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ through written and spoken word. We do this by providing resources and educational opportunities for people to grow in their knowledge of biblical truth so that they are equipped to share that truth with others. You can visit our website at bridgebookstexas.org where you can find our Reformed podcast, Bridge Radio, where we bring on Christian authors, apologists, and scholars such as Dr. James White, Dr. John Frame, Joe Beakey, Jeff Durbin, John Sampson, and Tim Trumpert. You can find Bridge Radio on iTunes, Android, Windows, and Google Play or stream via our website. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. never ends as for prophecy they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away first corinthians 13 verses 8 through 10 and welcome back to another episode of bridge radio coming at you from the great state of texas texas my name is julio omad rodriguez and you can call me july i am the host as always and across from me i have uh, the theologian himself A.W. Varilla. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? And today's topic, we're sort of continuing this, I would call this part two, right, Abe? Absolutely. Uh, part two. And we're getting the other side of it. Yes, yes. we are getting the other side. The other side of what? Um, well, it has to deal with the spiritual gifts. Recently in an episode, we had Dr. Sam Storms on. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with him, he is a continuist, uh, a continuationist. And so these the, uh, continuations hold to that the spiritual gifts are, are still... Uh, active today, and uh, and so we're going to give the opposite perspective. Uh, this is something that I hold to, which is known to as cessationism. And uh, our guest today is probably about the perfect person that you could get for this topic. So yes, I'm sir. super excited. <laughs> um, and so uh, th- this uh, this this podcast is going to address the question: Have the spiritual gifts ceased, or do they continue today? So just welcome, welcome everybody who, who's who's you know tuning into the program. If you're new, hey, please subscribe uh, wherever you're listening uh, to us. Through. Uh, iTunes, Android, Windows, Google Play. Uh, we have a bridge app that is currently being developed, but we'll unpack that later in another episode. Uh, we have great podcasts for you here. Please go listen to our past podcasts. Recently, we got through the Doctrines of Grace. It was a six-part series. We had people on like John Frame, James White, Joel Beakey, uh, and recently we had Rosaria Butterfield on. Mm-hmm. That was super awesome. She came on to talk about her newest book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, last week, we had um, uh, uh, Dr. Michael Whitmer yeah. came in and, and talked about his book uh, Becoming Worldly Saints and sort of that question of uh, can I follow Jesus and still have pleasure in my life yeah. <laughs> so that was very interesting to have him on and talk about that but not in a, a prosperity point of view yes. so we just want to clear very, that up. <laughs> very very much yeah no 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 we, we're not prosperity uh, we don't hold to that at all yeah. we're reformed uh, theologians here and this by, by the way this is a reformed Christian bookstore so um, and yeah we, we also had uh, uh, John Sampson he yeah. came on and did the 12 what about subjections to the to the reform view of, of election. So that was really cool. That yeah, was, that's what, his fourth time on John Sampson on like our show? Fifth, fifth, fifth like time? Fifth okay, time. Yeah. So he's yeah, my wife loves to listen to, to John. Like She gets excited every time John is. So like he just goes through everything verse by verse, yeah. and we're just like, yes. He, he does expository podcasting. And, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just exposits the word greatly. Um, and guys, if you want to support Bridge Ministries, this, uh, this great reformed Christian bookstore that's out here in the desert spiritually and actually literally yeah. um uh you, please we, by all means we would very highly appreciate your support you can visit us at www.bridgebookstexas hit our about slash giving tab and you can find more information about us uh, through the website and help support this ministry we are absolutely dedicated to proclaiming the gospel teaching and discipling Christians in Reformed theology and, and doctrine, and uh, we're doing this podcast as a means to not only impact our community, but the nations. Yeah. Uh, we have listeners from Australia to, um, to Ireland, Ireland as, as well. Ireland, Europe, and, Italy, I mean, yeah, we've been seeing just listeners just... Just know, being impacted. Just, yeah. 
just being impacted. So anyway, let's go ahead and dive into today's topic, especially our guest. I'm so excited to have him on. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> our guest, he's the executive director of Grace to You. He has been closely associated with John MacArthur since 1981 and edits most of uh, John's major books. Phil also maintains several popular websites, including the Spurgeon Archives, uh, the Hall of Church History, and the uh Problematic blog. He is an ordained elder and pastor of Grace Community Church. And thank you so much, Phil, for coming on the program, brother. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, uh, and and also, I should make some corrections there okay. on the data. I know you got that from my website, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't maintain the Spurgeon archive anymore. It got out of control, out of my control, and uh, I just couldn't keep up with it. Okay. So I donated it to uh, the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's part of the Spurgeon Library there now. Okay. And they've oh, wow. uh, they've improved it greatly. So I started it, maintained it for fifteen years, and quit. Okay. And then my. My blog also is uh, is titled Pyromaniac. Yeah, I got that wrong. Uh, I, there are lots of people who would prefer your name, the Problematic Blog. It was problematic. <laughs> I don't um, even know how I pronounced it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think what you said. I was like, okay. Hold on. <laughs> I think you said Problematic, and and I and and that's a great. You know, maybe I'll do a. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> is problematic. It, is it is it polemic? Definitely problem. It's not only problematic for me. It's problematic, of course, for the people I disagree with and so on. <laughs> I think everybody found it problematic to one one degree or another. Okay. That is awesome. That's hilarious. Yeah, go, go ahead and change it. That'd be awesome. It fits it. <laughs> do, do you edit the uh, Spanish ones too, uh, Phil? Uh, I know that you no, guys No, no, I don't speak Spanish. I When I master English someday, I'll learn another language. <laughs> but, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't, I don't know enough Spanish to know. So all of that is done after the fact. Typically a book is published and then a Spanish publisher will get a translator and translate it. Sometimes they do it in the same process so that the Spanish edition and the English edition are published at the same time. But okay. uh, my role is basically to take sermon transcripts. I take a verbatim record of what John MacArthur preached, and I will craft that into a, a draft, a first draft for a book chapter. He goes through it, puts a final polish on it and all of that. I take it back, put all his changes in, and make sure everything is right, and then we send it off to the publisher. Hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, we're this ministry is blessed by just all your books in English and Spanish, and we carry just a large volume of <laughs> yeah. books. Yeah, here, and, thank you, thank you, and, and thank you very much for all your hard work that you do. Yep. All right, Phil. So recently, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we had a uh, Doctor Sam Storms on to talk about his book, practicing the power, uh, welcoming the gifts of of the Holy Spirit into your life. Uh, in regards to the spiritual gifts, Doctor Sam Storm holds to what is known as continuationism. Uh, you hold to what is known as cessationism. Can you uh, unpack that for us? What What do those two isms mean, especially for the, our new listeners who are who are just tuning in? Yeah, sure. First of all, I, I love Dr. Sam Storms. He mm-hmm. is one of the most gracious, uh, likable guys ever. Uh, but I disagree with him on this issue, uh, and obviously in a profound way. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a continuationist, he he believes that the spiritual gifts you read about in the Book of Acts and First Corinthians are still operative today. That all of the all of the miraculous phenomena, all the apostolic sign gifts, uh, the signs of the apostle, as Paul mm-hmm. refers to them. Uh, those things are still in operation, and uh, that n- n- nothing substantial really has changed in the outworking of those gifts throughout the church age. Uh, a cessationist, and I'm a cessationist, uh, says, n- no, if you look at Scripture, you can see evidence even within Scripture that the miraculous gifts of the apostolic era had mm-hmm. a, a specific and a clearly defined purpose, and that they did diminish in both frequency and importance, and ultimately faded from use after the era that is described in the Book of Acts. Okay. Uh, so those gifts ceased operation, and we're not to expect the same same kinds of miraculous healings and special prophecies and gifts of tongues and all that are described in the Book of Acts. So, Phil, historically, is there a reason why Protestants have always held to sensationism? Uh, why do you believe? Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's a really clear reason because empirically, it seemed obvious that those gifts had ceased. Uh-huh. Uh, there have been people across the 
the range of church history, isolated people, and, and many of them just kooks and cranks, who claim to get divine prophecies or be able to perform miracles or whatever. But the, the general mainstream of the church uh, has always held that those, those gifts you read about, and particularly the phenomena you see at Pentecost, uh, was not uh, to be a, a normal part of church daily, daily church life, and okay. those gifts ceased operation. There, there was nobody even claiming them, uh, really, in any significant way until the twentieth beginning of the twentieth century. Uh, so it was just a fact of history that uh, that those gifts did not play the same role in the church across the board as they did in the Book of Acts, and even the Catholic Church, which claimed isolated miracles here and there, because in order to canonize a saint, the Catholic Church has to prove that you know this guy is some miracle associated with this guy whom they want to canonize. Hmm. So they they believed in miracles, and there are fantastic tales about miracles wrought by you know, the relics of various saints and all that. But even the Catholic Church making claims like that did not claim that the apostolic sign gifts, these, the gift of tongues, the gift of healings, uh, the, the office of prophecy, all those things had continued unabated. Hmm. Even the Catholic Church didn't believe that. And okay. it was up to the early Pentecostals in 1901, really, uh, th- their claim was that they had recovered these gifts that had fallen from use. Hmm. And in Pentecostal theology, uh, really right up at least until 1960, that was the standard line, that the Pentecostal movement had recovered gifts that had been lost across the church age uh, to most of the church. Okay. And and so that the Pentecostal movement was a kind of restoration of those gifts. The narrative changed with the charismatic movement sometime after 1960, where now the popular narrative among charismatics is that those those gifts have always been operative they just hmm. uh, you just have to search church history for examples of them and in order to make that case they've adopted and uh, and sanctified some cranks and kooks and and some <laughs> outright heretics okay. who made claims about special prophecies and miracle gifts and all that so uh, those claims are questionable and that's one of the reasons I'm a cessationist and and for the I guess the the claims of miracle throughout history could is there any like specific uh, ones at the top of your head that you might you know recall boy uh, let me think no I mean there there if you if you you know read some Catholic literature about the mm-hmm. miracles associated with the various relics you'd find all kinds of fantastic tales okay uh, I don't know. Just, I don't have any on the top of my head, right, but yeah. but some of those, uh, like I said, they're they're isolated incidents. Yeah. Even right. even if even if you accepted them all, mm-hmm. uh, you you still could not make the case that miracles have ever been a part of everyday life in the experience of Christians in mainstream church. Right, right, mm-hmm. right, right. So so why do you believe there's been just growth in the reform camp of of of, of us adopting uh, continuationism? Well, I think largely because it's trendy. I mean, that's that's a big factor. It's just kind of trendy. Uh, the first reform person I know who was a continuationist but not uh, charismatic was probably Martin Lloyd Jones. And Lloyd Jones, of course, huh. uh, yeah, in yeah. his in in yeah. his youth had uh, experienced the Welsh revival, which ha- had some strange phenomena happening and. Uh, he he always longed for a repeat of that revival experience, okay. and he didn't want to write off experiences just because they were bizarre. I mean, Jonathan Edwards basically said the same thing in the Great Awakening mm-hmm. that uh, there were there were strange experiences that people claimed and had, and you couldn't write off the whole revival just because there was weirdness associated with that. I okay. happen to agree with that, but uh, Lloyd Jones uh, said he couldn't make the case for. Uh, cessationism biblically, exegetically, with a definitive sort of proof text, and therefore he was unwilling to say that those gifts had ceased. But at the same time, he examined the charismatic movement in its Mm -hmm. infancy and um, uh, said, uh, whatever this is, is not the the New Testament gift. So he wasn't a charismatic, but he was a continuationist. Then you've got people like John Piper, who's very influential, uh, Sam Storms, Mm -hmm. and, uh, of course, Wayne Grudem. And Mm -hmm. I would say 
Probably, I would credit Wayne Grudem with being the one who, probably more than anyone else, he and John Piper, have sort of opened the door in the reform movement among younger, younger, uh, newly reformed guys mm-hmm. to see that sort of perspective where they they want to uh, they want to say that they, look, you can't make the case for cessationism exegetically, and therefore. Uh, we're continuationists. Now, both of them have taken it to the point where they have embraced some of the charismatic gifts. Okay. Uh, but there are lots of lots of young Reformed guys who pretty much take the same stance as Lloyd-Jones. We're continuationists, but, but not charismatics. Okay. That position doesn't make any sense to me, because if you're a continuationist, you have to believe that those gifts have continued unabated, and if they're not in the charismatic movement, where are they? Hmm. So, but if if you're saying, look, in order to justify cessationism, you have to have a proof text or a passage of scripture that you can exegetically prove cessation from, then you're not going to be a cessationist uh, because all of the passages that that you would might maybe go to to deal with that have some ambiguity or difficulty about them that cause people to say, well, that's not definitive, that's not clear, therefore I can't embrace cessationism. Ah. In my view, the problem is the same as the question of whether the canon is closed. You don't, you can't find a mm. definitive proof text to say the canon of Scripture is closed, but I, I hope we would all agree that that's the case, simply right. because yeah. nobody is writing Scripture, and nobody has written Scripture that's been, that's been uh, affirmed by the uniform testimony of believers mm-hmm. in 2,000 years. So because of that, we, we assume the canon is closed. Furthermore, at the end of the Old Testament, when prophecy ceased, there was 400 years between the last prophet and John the Baptist. And uh, if if somebody had said during that era, look, nobody's giving legitimate prophecies, mm-hmm. would you have thought it a, a, a valid argument to say, well, if you can't find a text in Scripture that says prophecy is going to cease, then you can't hold that position. So that sort of argumentation seems to me to be lacking in, in in any sort of convincing uh, weight. I mean, you just look at the reality, and, and it seems obvious to me that what we're seeing today, even the best of what we see in the charismatic movement, uh, has very little relationship to what is described in the New Testament. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, in, in 2003, you you spoke, uh, along with others like R.C. Sproul, Stephen Lawson, Justin Peters, um, at a conference called Strange Fire, and, and its sole aim was to evaluate the doctrines, the claims, and the practices of the modern charismatic movement uh, and affirm the true person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what would you say is the core error in continuationism? Yeah, by the way, I think that was 2012. It was way later than 2003. It was just about five years ago, four or five years okay. ago. Uh, but, good question, what is the core error? I think the core error is it's a departure from the principle of sola scriptura. It's, uh, it opens the door to fresh prophecies and new revelations, and uh, it, it, it has people looking to, uh, um, you know, words of prophecy and uh, um, special miracles and all that as confirmation for their various beliefs and doctrines rather than scripture it points people away from scripture yeah and and you know that's that's a very interesting point that you bring up because about a year ago, I went to Bethel Church uh, to go visit. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with them because they're quite popular in the charismatic movement um, oh yeah and and I had sat in with two sermons in in one of them um, I mean my jaw almost dropped completely to the floor because the guy who was giving the sermon uh, I think he's the one of the senior pastors his name's Chris Valatone but I remember him saying that you know in the future there was going to be you know some apostle um, and and uh, and that that all Protestants were going to be under this one apostle and he was just pushing some really kooky weird view and um, and and along this is a, as well as a movement that is just you know very much seeking sort of that experience of God um, miracles uh, healing tongues and etc so I, I could really see how how we could get pretty nutty <laughs> on the opposite uh, yeah it does and in fact they they put a lot of videos Bethel Church uh, Redding California put a lot of videos online 
and uh, you can watch any of their church services, and you will not find anybody doing biblical exposition. No, they exegete no. their dreams and, and yes. private <laughs> prophecies and yes. things like that. So that's exactly what I mean. They're, they're yeah. probably the worst, the, the very worst example of where the charismatic movement points, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I think any sort of charismatic belief it really points the same direction away from Scripture and, okay. and more towards your private dreams and revelations. Because if you think about it, if God is giving fresh revelation, if God is speaking to me through my dreams or uh, through a voice in my head or, or through strong impressions in my spirit or whatever, that later revelation is fresher and more personal and therefore in many ways becomes more important in my mind and my and my approach to sanctification than the text of Scripture would be. Yeah. And that, I think, is the chief danger. That's the central error. I, huh. I, I think the gift of tongues is uh, comparatively harmless compared to the, this, this movement, which, in fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the charismatic movement over 20 years' time or so, mm-hmm. the focus has shifted away from the gift of tongues more to this issue of private prophecy. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that, again, is thanks to the influence of Wayne Grudem. Uh, who says, you know, basically you should listen for this voice in your head, and when you have a strong impression, you should declare that to people as possibly a word from God. (laughs) And yet at the same time, he teaches that yet that sort of prophecy might be fallible. I just can't think of anything more dangerous than declaring that your intuitive thoughts are words from the Lord, Mm -hmm. knowing that they might be fallible. Hmm. That's just a dangerous approach to to trying to follow Christ. Right. And and yeah, that's something that we're actually going to get into with the prophecy of Agabus and uh, kind of a little bit with the nuttiness of the... the, Abe's looking at me. He's like, Agabus again? Because we talked about this with the Sam Storm. I, yeah. I kind of questioned him on it. Um, you <laughs> know, go with Agabus. Ab- ab- about, yeah, about Agabus' prophecy. But we'll talk about it in, in that in a second. Yeah, so, so Phil, the cascading argument is, is a common objection by cessationists to the continuous uh, position. Can you lay it out, can you lay out uh, for us just that argument? Yeah. yeah, I think that name, Cascade Argument, is uh, Sam Waldron's uh, preferred choice. Okay. But it's a similar argument that I've used, and, and I think it's a, it, 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 in some ways an unassailable argument. Uh, the, the, the idea is, I'll say it in my own words rather than Sam Waldron's, uh, it, it's simply a fact that practically everyone, even the most rabid charismatic, if he has any evangelical conviction at all, he is to some degree a cessationist. Mm-hmm. He believes the canon is closed. He believes there are no apostles today uh, of the, the kind of apostles, not just sent ones, but mm-hmm. the apostles like the Twelve, authoritative men whose word is as, whose teaching is as, as clear and authoritative as Scripture, apostles like we had in the New Testament. We don't believe there are those today. We don't believe there is new Scripture being written. We don't see... Uh, healing gifts, uh, such as those that are described in the book of Acts, both Paul and Peter, it says, had uh, the ability to heal, and it, and it specifically says, and they, people came to them, they, they laid out people in so that the shadow of Peter might pass over them, and Paul would send out aprons, you know, and people would be healed by those. But in both cases, Scripture says, and they healed them all. They healed everybody. They, mm. uh, there, there weren't Failures. There weren't people who claimed a healing and then died of cancer in three weeks. Hmm. Uh, they and they healed obvious, visible congenital illnesses. That never happens today. You don't see people born blind gaining their sight. You don't see people who are truly deaf uh, gaining hearing. You don't see people who are congenitally lame picking up their beds and walking. The the sorts of miracles that Jesus did and his apostles did, we don't see happening today. And um, many charismatics uh, freely confess that, yeah, the miracles we see today and the gift of tongues we see today are not of the same quality as what you read in the New Testament. Uh And to me, in conceding that, they've conceded the cessationist argument. I'm saying what happened in the New Testament is not commonly happening today. And, And they have to more or less admit that. 
Uh, but because they don't want to, they, they, they have, I think, a deficient view of divine providence. This has been my argument, that um, uh, they, they sort of hold the view that unless God is doing miracles, then we're saying he's inactive. I don't say God is inactive. I think God is involved oh, okay. providentially in every small detail of everything that happens. Yeah. But he ordinarily works by providence, not by miracles. And nobody has the gift of miracles. Nobody has miraculous gifts, the ability to command healings or the ability to speak in languages that they never learned that okay. other people can actually understand and translate. Uh, those things just aren't happening today. And once you acknowledge that, and many charismatics have, many leading charismatics have confessed that, yeah, these aren't the same quality of gifts you see in apostolic times. When you when you admit that you've you've basically conceded the whole cessationist argument. So why make so why make that claim if it's not the same as we've seen in the Old Testament? Well, again, because I think they they believe they have this mistaken notion that unless you can affirm that God is doing miracles, mm-hmm. what you're saying is that He's inactive. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a criticism I frequently get as a cessationist. Yeah. Right. People say, "Well, you, then you don't believe God is active today." On the contrary, I believe yeah. God is active in everything that happens. You, as a charismatic only believe God is active when he intervenes with a miracle, but I believe in divine providence. This is where, uh, this is the nexus where I think uh, charismatic doctrine is actually incompatible with Reformed theology and Mm -hmm. Calvinism. Because as Calvinists, we believe in the doctrine of divine providence. We believe that everything that happens is under the direct control of God, that nothing is outside his command, nothing is beyond his plan, nothing Mm -hmm. thwarts his plan, and and uh, he governs his world by a loving providence, but yeah. normally he uses ordinary means. So when I pray for a healing, and okay. I do, and I believe God heals, yeah. but I believe he ordinarily uses means. I, I think there there are probably times when I've never experienced it when right. when God has miraculously healed me, but He has answered my prayers for healing many times. I believe God heals, but ordinarily He does that through ordinary means, and, that, and that's why I go to the doctor. Yeah. Instead of thinking like some extreme charismatics do, that if you go to the doctor, then that's that's a, that shows a lack of faith. Right. And so there have actually been cases uh, uh, and well-known cases where uh, charismatics have died because rather than seeking medical help for curable illnesses, mm-hmm. they they prayed for miraculous healing and it, it didn't come. Because it's, it's through God's providence that he's given that doctor the ability in, mm-hmm. in medicine to heal the people. Right. 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 And we're commanded not to put God to the test yeah. and to forego, you know, treatment that you know would cure an illness right. in the name of faith is essentially to put God to the test. It's a sin to live like that. Yeah. Hmm, I can see. It. Yeah. So, so just to get just to get it straight, because this is kind of the argument that I would get from continuationists is that, um, and, and and just to clarify for our listeners, you know, they'll say, "Oh, you're a cessationist, so you don't believe God is active, and and so therefore you don't believe God can heal." Yeah. Now, cessationists are not saying that. At you know, at by by no means. Um, one of the things that I would like to get your your opinion on this, uh, Phil, is I've always said you know for the continuationist movement, um, like we would make the the distinction between God's providence and this being an actual gift whereby someone can actually um, heal someone through a command. Yeah. I've always right. asked the question and pressed it. It was like point to me to at least one person. Post-apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic, <laughs> apostle, post-apostle age of of someone who's doing these miracles at the at the will of themselves, you know, just on the fly. You can't point to one, and and I feel like until then, then maybe you could kind of get me into the continuationist camp, but I, I just don't see it. I, I don't I don't find it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I've used the same argument with uh, with the uh, modern prophecy movement. You mm-hmm. know, show me one prophet whose claims that he has a word from the Lord uh, turn out to be true more often than they turn out to be false. Right. Because even even the best figures you hear suggest that uh, maybe maybe only 30% of the time are our prophecies right. And I honestly, I think that's stretching it a bit. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I just have another question here as well. The people that believe this, <laughs> you know... Um, 
what would you what would you say about that like <laughs> right like we we've seen all these televangelists on tv you know throwing people around uh and they're healed we know you know we just heard from uh samson you know when he was in the prosperity movement the yeah. prosperity movement and just the things that were going on in there what would you say to the listeners who have encountered people that are very gullible to this yet haven't really seen these miracles but yet say that they have but it really hasn't have him. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean you know th- this is the this is one of the big problems with charismatic theology is i think it turns a lot of people ultimately against christianity because they think that's true faith believing that these things are real and when they discover they're not in fact, let me just give a little word of personal testimony. I yeah. grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's the uh, the heart of the charismatic movement. Oral Roberts University is there. Kenneth mm-hmm. Hagin's college is there. His headquarters were there. Kenneth Copeland studied there. Everybody who was everybody, uh, T.L. Osborne in the in the charismatic movement, everybody who was anybody had their headquarters in Tulsa, it seemed like. And I grew up in the midst of that. In in high school and junior high, my best friend was the son of a famous Pentecostal faith healer. He was a man who mm-hmm. uh, would hold, he traveled the world, and he would hold large stadium rallies for faith healing. And he could fill a football stadium with 70,000 people and claimed to heal people of all kinds of diverse diseases, usually overseas, never in the United States. Uh, but he was a well-known Assemblies of God faith healer. And the year after I became a Christian, uh, in fact, I wasn't a Christian for all the years I, I, I maintained this close friendship with, with my friend, who I, I really loved, uh, he would try to get me to speak in tongues, but he never gave me the gospel. Yeah. And when I finally <laughs> discovered the gospel and became a Christian, it, it, it that sort of fractured my my belief about charismatic miracles. I thought, well, why would he get me to speak in tongues? And he never told me the gospel. And then within that year, his father, the faith healer, came down with a uh, a kind of bone cancer that led to a long, lingering, very painful death. And my friend abandoned the faith wow. because wow. he felt like his father, the faith healer, uh, had taught him that, you know, if you have enough faith, anything can be healed. And he wasn't healed himself. And my friend concluded that the whole thing, the whole Christian narrative, is a fake. Mm. Uh, wow. And so uh, th- that's why I hate this stuff, because I think it right. inoculates people against genuine faith as soon as they see how much phoniness there is. And even even leading charismatics acknowledge that the the, the movement is fraught with phoniness and charlatans, and uh, I, I think it was, um, well, what's his name at IHOP, the leader of the uh, International House of Prayer, I, I can't. I can't remember in, his name. I know. I know in, you're in talking Kansas about. City. I have a video of him saying that in all his years in the charismatic movement, he's concluded that more than eighty percent of the phenomena that are claimed are phony. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's from IHOP. <laughs> that's a, that's an amazing admission. Yeah. Yeah. And and you look at that with the miracles and the prophecies in particular. If eighty percent of your prophecies are phony and wrong. That's dangerous. That's not godly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to, I want to actually touch on, touch on prophecy for a second. This is going to go back to to Agabus, which, which, which is really when it. I mean, it, it is. Uh, Abe's looking at me like, oh, here we go again. The Agabus, the prophecy of Agabus, really. Uh, it really falls on you know for the continuationists um, whether the New Testament teaches that prophecy is fallible or non-authoritative. Would you would you agree with me, um, Phil, on that? Yeah, I just don't think Agabus was wrong. I, yeah. I think you know Paul Paul didn't heed his his warning, and and I don't know that, uh, that Paul was wrong to do that. I think Paul was right to do that. But what Agabus said was wrong. Or was right rather. What he, yes. he didn't he didn't prophesy falsely. Mm-hmm. Everything he said happened, uh, but what he wanted Paul to do was what was wrong. He wanted Paul, you know, not to go to Jerusalem and 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 get himself in trouble. But that was the plan of God to get Paul to Rome. So Agabus was right in what he prophesied. He was wrong in how he wanted to apply it. it it's different than saying, uh, you know, it was a false prophecy. It wasn't a false prophecy. It was true. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So so a, a continuation is, I guess, objection to that, and kind of what we got with, with Sam Storms was that, um, that the prophecy was wrong in the sense that um, Jerusalem didn't hand over 
um, Paul to the Romans, um, or that they, they because the the binding was was wrong, um, and and so I, I want I wanted you to kind of unpack that, Phil, if you could, um, and and just how because Sam Storms. Well, well, well yeah, here, hold on a second. Sam Storm did say that he said that the um, uh, the pro- prophecy was correct. So uh, the prophecy, the revelation was correct. Uh, he also pointed out that uh, the interpretation is where uh, was where it was not it was so and so, and then that the application was wrong. And I'm pretty sure that that's that's what. He yeah, said. that's that's what he was saying. And he was just going through those points that he was claiming that the revelation, the prophecy, was correct. Yeah, right. And that, but and what went? Ha- what happened? Yeah, it was. It, yeah, the way it, the way in which Agabus prophesied was correct. wrong, um, especially when it came to the to, to the binding. Um, Phil, what what would be your response to that? I would say if you're going to make a point over the fact of, of whether they actually handed him over to Rome, because he ultimately did end up in the hands of Rome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that seems to me to be uh, a kind of. Uh, that's elliptical language. It's a figure of speech. Like it's not. That's not a fallacy. It's a. It's a foreshortening of what happened. He didn't tell every detail, but what he did say was true. It all came true. Yeah. So it wasn't a false prophecy. You, know, you could. You could say his application of it is wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that I'd even go that far. I, yeah. I think Agabus loved Paul. He was expressing a normal human desire uh, for him, you know, not to not to uh, uh, do something that was going to cost him his life. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I mean, to 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 try to pin him uh, with the label false prophet because of that is extreme and its only motive is to try to justify the rapidly false prophets the 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 just prodigiously false prophets that are out there prophesying today and that that just strikes me as a a wicked motive actually i don't see any any good justification for trying to uh canonize a prophet who is whose prophecies are manifestly false that's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous according to common sense. It's it's wicked according to scripture. Yeah, yeah. And and can you unpack that too, especially with the standard of prophecy in the Old Testament? How um, how we were supposed to judge uh, people who are claiming prophecy? Because um, I think that's absolutely fundamental uh, to this kind of yeah, well, to, to only, our position. Right. The only instructions about that really are in the Old Testament, where it says if somebody prophesies something that doesn't come to pass, then don't fear him, don't pay any attention to him, regard him as a false prophet. He is by definition a false prophet because he's prophesied falsely. Uh, that 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 has all been called into question by Wayne Grudem's work because mm-hmm. he claims that the New Testament gift of prophecy is different in that it doesn't have to be. Uh, accurate, mm-hmm. and and he goes to Agabus as his as his sole justification for right. that. Uh, right, but uh, to me that seems just transparently uh, a pragmatic stretch that attempts to justify so many false prophecies today uh, that twists the point of Scripture so far out of out of shape. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't understand why so many people go for that other than that people just don't want an argument over the charismatic issue and it's just much more comfortable and easy to allow for uh the continuationist claims and all the false prophecies rather than to challenge so many people and say look you're you're prophesying falsely it's it's a kind of spiritual laziness in my opinion yeah i was i was about to say that it's just pure laziness and i i i find it amazing though even just when when we sit here at the bookstore um we have different people's people uh walk in, in 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 christ and also different denomination and just uh we're in part of texas that uh um, prosperity gospel just infects everything. Uh, everything, you know. <laughs> and then on top of that, we're in a predominantly uh, Catholic Roman Catholic uh, area, so we're we're battling Catholicism, and at the same time, we're also battling uh, the prosperity gospel. Where, you know, as long as you you claim it, you believe hard enough, things will come past. You're going to get healed. Like everything's going to be okay okay that you shouldn't have any pain in this life and and it's very difficult for us here because you know we yeah we're reformed and you know 
and we're just like man wow like it does get overwhelming at times and just like hearing some of these people talk about this like, and you're just like oh man like really mm-hmm. yeah like, just the confusion to- out there the, con- the the amount of confusion that's that's out there is uh, just mind-boggling and and you know the prosperity gospel is actually a, a, a almost a different question than the simpler question of cessationism the prosperity gospel really encompasses the very worst side of the charismatic movement and because it's a different gospel uh Mm. i I see it as a damnable error people always say well do you believe your your the charismatics are your brothers and sisters in christ and my answer is the ones who believe the true gospel sure i can allow for their their errors on you know cessationism and prophecy and still embrace them as brothers and sisters in christ but those who who uh proclaim the prosperity gospel and turn the gospel into uh, a means of earthly gain are doing precisely what the new testament warned against most strongly and most uh, most frequently with regard to false teaching it's the worst kind of false teaching Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Paul is very clear about that, uh, you know, it, about in 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 Corinthians and Galatians in the beginning part of just the perversion of the gospel, and 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 to be careful. Yeah, they imagine can... that they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. That's mm-hmm. that's what yeah. Scripture says about it. That's not my that's not my condemnation. Scripture condemns that point of view that if you think godliness is a means of gain, mm, yeah. That that is damnable error. That's that's the worst possible uh, twisting of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why Paul said that even if an angel in heaven, you know, in Galatians, right. uh, you know, should and, preach and another you know, gospel that's contrary to the one we preach, you, be accursed. Did yeah. you ask Sam Storms about the prosperity gospel when he was on? No, uh, no. Because no. it'd be interesting. I, my guess is Sam would would decry the. Pro, I'm sure he would decry the prosperity yeah. gospel. Yeah, uh, he would. It, uh, undoubtedly, so. but uh, because of his his various affiliations in the charismatic movement, the people that he has linked arms with, prayed with, affirmed publicly, and and you know joined hands with, and proclaimed brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them are teachers of the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. and it, it clouds the issue. It's one thing to say this is damnable error, but if you turn around and take the stage, you know, at the Passion Conference with somebody who who's actually teaching the prosperity gospel, hmm. you have so confused the issue that it kind of nullifies your, your disclaimer about the error of the prosperity gospel. Huh. Yeah, yeah. An- another thing on, you know, kind of equating the prosperity gospel as just a simple means of gain, I think with the charismatic movement, well, I, I do know with the charismatic movement, just with my uh, visit to Bethel, is what they really do is this gospel is more of a, like, it's it's very much a, an emotional experience in this search of just miracles, so um, really Jesus is just, as, just a means is to healing in this kind of miraculous experience that they're just searching for, and we've commonly, I've, I've heard I don't know exactly what Reformed pastor said it, but he's like, don't be looking for, um, you know, the healings and the miraculous, you know, sort of events now, but what is found in, in Scripture and that's found in the Bible, um, which, are, which are the healings and the miracles of Jesus and the apostles, because those ultimately point to who Christ was and the gospel itself. Um so, at the beginning of the podcast, you had mentioned uh, that you ran, you, you once ran um, the Spurgeon Archives, and one thing in our in our podcast with Sam Storm that he mentioned was a time that uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, while preaching a sermon, um, called out to someone or pointed to someone, and uh, he quotes from his uh, from his autobiography, and it, and it says this, quote, uh, while preaching in the hall, this is actually Spurgeon, I believe, uh, writing this, He's, he, he he writes, quote, while preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, this is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence and uh, there was four pence of profit out of it. Uh, his soul is sold to Satan for four pence. And so um, in in what 
Spurgeon was pointing out ended up being correct according to him uh, along with with other testimonies I guess this wasn't really like a one-time case but there was multiple times that Spurgeon had done this what would you say about that um, was this yeah, a, it's, a, it's a true story by the way okay. uh, although Spurgeon didn't claim that the Lord revealed to him that this man was up there okay Spurgeon was preaching and he said you know somebody stole a pair of gloves and uh, and or, or told a story like that just as an illustration off the top of his head and it turned out that the direct way he was pointing uh someone was guilty of the very sin he, he was describing and the guy mm. thought like the lord told him and the guy repented and and all uh you know i I have no doubt that that actually happened. Uh, I would see that as a, a remarkable providence. Yeah. It's not a prophecy, because okay. Spurgeon himself did not know the facts when he said that. It was more of an accident on his part. So it's a remarkable hmm. providence, not, okay. a, not a real prophecy. There are other uh, clearer incidents in Spurgeon's life where uh, people said and did things. Like when he was a very young boy, a famous preacher came to visit, and he, uh, he, he this guy basically foretold he said and when Spurgeon I think about five years old he said he's going to grow up and be a great preacher he had conversed with Spurgeon and saw that even as a five-year-old he had a a great uh knowledge of scripture and Hmm. the grasp of doctrine a keen interest in spiritual things and he said he's going to grow up and become a great preacher and he said someday he'll preach in the chapel of uh I forget who it was some famous preacher and and when that happens, he says to Spurgeon, I want you to sing this hymn. And so he gave him a hymn to sing. And all of that was fulfilled. And people sometimes point to that and say, well, that's an example of prophecy. So Spurgeon was not a cessationist, they say. But Spurgeon was definitively a cessationist. He clearly said that uh, he believed the the prophetic gifts and miraculous gifts in the New Testament were no longer in operation, and he frequently warned people. In fact, let me give you a couple of quotes. Okay. This is from a sermon called The Paraclete volume 18 in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit. He says, take care never to impute the vain imaginings of your fancy to the Lord. I've seen the Spirit of God shamefully dishonored by persons, I hope they were insane, who said that they've had this and that revealed to them. There has not for some years passed over my head a single week in which I've not been pestered with Mm. the revelations of hypocrites and maniacs. Semi-lunatics are very fond of coming with messages from the Lord to me, and it may spare them some trouble if I tell them once for all that I have none of their stupid messages. So that's pretty strong language. <laughs> yeah, it goes yeah. on, by the way. I could keep reading to you. He says, yeah, don't yeah, impute yeah. that stuff to the Holy Spirit. He says, in another place, to live your life by these impressions and feelings is to live the life of a fool. Mm. So he wasn't in favor of following impressions. There's plenty of stuff about this on the Internet. Okay. Uh, Nate Busenitz did a great article at the Cripplegate called Spurgeon Impressions and Prophecy, where he answered this question in detail with numerous quotes from Spurgeon. Okay. Spurgeon was very wary of and frequently cautioned against people who think God is talking to them in their head. So whatever those providential experiences represent, Spurgeon himself did not believe at all that they mm-hmm. represented the continuance of a gift of prophecy. I mean, that's just objectively true. And I wish Sam Storms would 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 not continue to mislead people about where Spurgeon stood on that. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, with all this stuff with with, with Sam Storm talking about him, we, we love him as a brother. Yeah. We're just kind of, you know, just, just to make that clear. Like I said, yeah. hey, uh, let me reiterate that. He is one of the most gracious and likable people yes. I know. Yes. Uh, and I love him. Uh, I just don't agree with him on a number of right, things. Yeah. He's, he's far more gracious than I am, by the way, and that's to his credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love you, Dr. Storms. Uh, anyway, Phil, um, as wow. always with our guests, uh, we love for them to share the gospel for our listeners, and if you could do that before uh, we land this plane here in this podcast, that would be awesome. Sure, yeah. The the gospel in Scripture, my favorite place where the gospel is more or less outlined and and set forth is uh, where the Apostle Paul writes about the Gospel in the Book of Romans, and it stretches across the whole book, but here's sort of the outline. He, he, he begins with the reality of human sin, yeah. and, and convinces us from Old Testament Scriptures that we are all sinners, we are all fallen, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or uh, a religious person somewhere in between, you're a sinner, and therefore you are in a hopeless state of alienation from God. And in the middle of Romans 3, then 
he changes tone all of a sudden and 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 basically explains that this is why Christ came. Christ was God in human flesh. He took on a human body specifically so that he could perfectly fulfill the law on our behalf and then die to pay the penalty for our sins. And and then he was resurrected from the dead and that was witnessed by numerous eyewitnesses and recorded for all history in a way that's never been successfully refuted. So Christ is risen from the dead as proof that God accepted his sacrifice on behalf of sinners, and all who put their faith in him have imputed to them his righteousness. Their sins are forgiven and wiped away, so that through their faith they receive not just a clean slate, but the full credit of Christ's righteousness, Uh so that they have a standing before God that's, that's in Christ, basically. We are mystically united with Christ. So as God looks at us, he sees us in Christ, hmm. hidden in Christ, so that our sins are covered and we have that perfect standing with him so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace mm-hmm. and find grace to help in time of need. That's the gospel. Oh, and it, and uh, true faith, I should also mention, true faith in Christ involves repentance from sin. Hmm. So... Yes. Uh, you know, those who, who are seeking eternal life need to turn from their sin, embrace Christ as Savior by faith, and they don't have to do anything else to earn the gift of eternal life. Just lay hold of Christ, and you have laid hold of life. Amen, amen. amen. All right, uh, Phil, well, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Be- besides going to a uh, problematic blog, I'm kidding, <laughs> Pyromaniac blog, uh, where can our listeners find you and just get a little bit more information about uh, the cessationist uh, perspective? Uh, my new website, I, I gave Spurgeon.org to uh, the seminary in Kansas City, as I said, so mm-hmm. my new website is Romans45.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Romans45.org. You'll find a page there that links to all my various websites, and uh, if you poke around a little bit, you'll find my email address, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I don't just put front and center because I don't want a bunch of web crawlers to start sending me more junk mail than I already get. But uh, <laughs> I welcome anyone who wants to uh, contact me to write me directly. My web, my uh, email address is phil at spurgeon.org. Mm. Spurgeon.org. All right, Phil. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We would love to have you back to uh, talk about another topic. Yes, Uh, thank you very much. We're really, really happy that you came on and gave us that other side. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a good time. Interesting discussion. Oh, yes. Yes, Very much, very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, next week we have um, our next podcast, which is Uh, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff and Chris uh, from Logos Community Church, and they're going to be talking about uh, discipleship inside the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So that'll be uh, part two to uh, the other discipleship that we had with... uh, Joe Beakey? Yeah. Joe Beakey. No, 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 no. no. It was uh, uh, um, Harry Reader. Harry Reader. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got Harry Reader on. Um. Anyways, guys, well, we'll see you on the next podcast. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, and in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Later. <laughs>